Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. Cliché. A phrase or opinion that is overused and betrays a lack of original thought. I've told you already that clichés often bring a weak resolution to a situation that has no logical explanation. And as Christians, we are the worst at offering our spiritual clichés. This month, we are looking at some Christian clichés that, as innocent as they may seem, they are theologically inadequate. The first week, we looked at the phrase, everything happens for a reason, and how it relates to Romans 8 and 28. And then last week, we looked at the cliche, God doesn't give us more than we can handle. And we actually found the, the truth in 1 Corinthians 10 and 13 on where that derives from. As many of you have begun to notice, we encounter cliches every day of our lives. Say it with me if you know it. Better safe, better safe than sorry. Or how about this one? What goes around, comes around. Yes. I like this one. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Whoever penned those words is an idiot. It doesn't always make you stronger. Some people that I know, they have a gift for quoting movies. You ever met anybody like that? Deanna Petrush? Yeah. They are able to watch a movie and lock that line into their minds to be recalled at an opportune time. And as much as we all love movie quotes, there's some moments in life where we discover that we actually, what we thought was a solid movie quote was actually misquoted. It's going to mess some of you up. I don't know if you're ready for this. Take, for instance, The Empire Strikes Back. Any Star Wars fans in the room? Yeah. Yeah, Go ahead. Give yourselves a hand. Yeah. Star Wars geeks. Any Star Trek fans? We don't care. Okay. But there's this scene in in The Empire Strikes Back where Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker, they're having this this confrontation, and spoiler alert here, and and Luke says something to Darth Vader about his his real father, and and Vader says, didn't Obi-Wan tell you? And he says, yes, you you killed my father. And there's this line that we all have ingrained in our minds where Darth Vader looks at him and says, Luke... But he didn't say that. He didn't say, Luke, I am your father. In response to to Luke, he says, no, I am your father. That's what he really said. Isn't that amazing? You've quoted it wrong all of these years. In the movie Field of Dreams, Ray is standing out in the cornfield, and he hears a voice from the corn. I don't know what kind of drugs he was on, but he hears a voice from the corn, and, and the voice says these words, if you build it, they will come. No, that's not what they said. That's not what the voice said at all. The voice said, if you build it, he will come. And even though they did show up by the hundreds, it wasn't about them at all. Sometimes the actual movie gets the quote wrong. If it's a real life event, Sometimes the movie gets the quote wrong. Take, for instance, for instance, the 1995 movie Apollo 13, where Tom Hanks' character makes this statement. Houston, that's not what was said in real life. 
They did not say, Houston, we have a problem. The real life quote from the mission was, uh, Houston, we've had a problem. You've had it wrong all this time. Don't you feel foolish for saying the wrong movie phrases or the wrong quotes? But one of the problems with our Christian cliches is that we often try and pass them off as scriptural. Because we've heard them around Christianity for so long. We've heard them around the church world for so long that we've convinced ourselves that they're actually in the Bible. That that's what the Bible actually says when in actuality that is not what the Bible says at all. Phrases like this, and I'm going to really mess up some of your theology right now, but just stay with me. Cleanliness is next to godliness. It's not in the Bible. So all of you parents out there that last night you looked at your children and you said, you need to go clean your room because the Bible says that cleanliness is next to godliness. You lied. We need to have an altar call right now, you bunch of sinners. You lie to your children when you say that. That is not in the Bible. Or, or, or how about this one? God helps those who help themselves. Nope. Not in his word. Some of you, you're really messed up right now. It's going to get worse because maybe you've used this phrase and declared that this is the word of God. God moves in mysterious ways. Our God works in mysterious ways. I'm sorry, he does, but it's not in the Bible. And finally, even former Chicago Bears coach Mike Ditka, he misquoted the Bible when he was being fired when he said these words. Scripture tells you that all things shall pass. Maybe you've said it like this. This too shall pass. It's not in the Bible. And some of you are going to spend the rest of my sermon on Google trying to find it. I'm telling you, it's not in the Bible. This too shall pass is not there. And today I want us to look at a phrase that most of us have used at one time or another. And some of us may believe that this is actually in the Bible. And it's not. And it's this phrase. When God closes one door, he opens another door. Or, or maybe you've heard it like this. When God closes one door, he opens a window. Which is a little weird why God would want us sneaking out of the window like, you know, some teenager in high school. I don't know, but it, yeah. But this statement is not in the Bible. And some of us, we've created that as our theology. And we honestly believe that, and we've shared that with people to try and bring some kind of sense to a meaningless situation in life. And we've looked at people and said, when God closes one door, he opens another door. And that's not biblical. It was actually said by Alexander Graham Bell, the inventor of the telephone, when he said these words, when one door closes, another opens. But we often look so long and so regretfully upon the closed door that we do not see the one which has opened for us. And as cr creative as Mr. Bell was, let's just be honest, he was not God. Therefore, his words are not canonized, and they are not part of God's holy scriptures. Even if they did use that same term in the sound of music, Rodgers and Hammerstein, they didn't get it right. It's not biblical. 
Even Helen Keller had her version of that same, that same statement. The truth is that sometimes God does open a new door rather quickly, but other times he simply closes the door and leaves other doors shut. And the problem with us using this phrase, when God closes one door, he opens another door. The problem with us using that is that it could mislead someone to believe that God is going to immediately open another door. And people get their hopes up over that. Or they think that God has failed them somehow when God doesn't immediately open another door. Before Mandy and I were married, I believe even before we were dating, I decided that I wanted to be a postman. I wanted to deliver mail. That's what I wanted to do. I have great benefits. So I wanted to, to be a postman. And knowing that I have, I have some pretty good-looking legs, and... <laughs> And they wear those little blue shorts, you know, or at least that's the kind of postman I was going to be. I was going to have my little blue shorts on. And, and I just thought, this is going to be great. I am made for the, I have the physique to be a postman. And so I went over to Jacksonville. This is true. Some of you are waiting on the punchline. There's no joke with this. I am serious as a heart attack right now. I went over to Jacksonville and you hear that cliche I just used right there? I'm serious as a heart attack. I am, but maybe not that serious. Forgive me, God. So I went over to Jacksonville, and I took the postal service exam. Passed it, man. Scored great on this. I came back to Lake City, and I thought, at any moment now, Lake City Post Office, they're going to call me, and they're going to want me to put on those little blue shorts and start delivering mail door to door. This is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life until I retire. I really thought this was going to happen. I was young. Had my future ahead of me, I had it planned out, and they didn't call. I waited some more. They never called. It's been over 23 years, and they've never called me. <laughs> What's wrong with my legs? <laughs> I, I don't know what else to say, but that door has closed. Wouldn't you agree? I don't think at this stage they want me anymore. They didn't want me then. Who am I kidding? Sometimes it feels as if there is an open door. And when it feels like that door has shut, that you might be standing in a very long hallway, not even sure if there's another door at the other end open. First Chronicles chapter 17. I want to read verses 1 through 4. First Chronicles 17 verses 1 through 4. And it reads like this. Now when David lived in his house, David said to Nathan the prophet, Behold, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. Nathan said to David, Do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, It is not you who will build me a house to dwell in. Near the end of King David's life, he has this desire to build a house for the Lord. And I can relate, because this building project is about to kill me. <laughs> and I'm wondering sometimes, God, when? When is it finally going to happen? And so, towards the end of his life, 
David has this, this burning desire in his heart to build a temple for the Lord. He's completed the construction of his palace. And the Bible actually tells us a couple of chapters earlier that, that he built multiple houses for himself in Jerusalem and other government buildings. And now he wants to turn his attention to the construction of God's temple. David even started gathering supplies to build the temple. He, he had the manpower. He even had the blueprints. There had never been a permanent dwelling place for the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. And so wherever the Ark of the Covenant was, was put, to the Israelites, that represents the presence of God. That is where God is at. And it had moved from tent to tent to tent to tent. Always housed in a portable setting, never in a permanent home. And this overwhelming feeling comes over David that, that this is not the way the presence of the Lord needs to be treated. And so he's got a wonderful ambition. It is not a selfish ambition at all. He has great motives that he wants to build a house for the Lord. God didn't even ask him to do this, but yet David wants to do this. And so he's got these great plans. And, and in a surprising twist of events, God says through the prophet Nathan, he says, no, David, you will not be the one that builds this house for me. We all know that God opens doors. We've, we've experienced that. Many of you in the room, you've experienced when God has opened a door and the favor of God is upon your life. And when you step through that door, you step into blessings. We've been there. Maybe it was that good break that you got. Your life will never be the same because of that break. Or maybe it was a promotion that you received. And that's the hand of God opening a door for your life. But the same God that opens doors can also close doors. The same God that opens doors of blessings into our lives, He can also close doors. But we don't like to talk about God closing doors. We know that He does because according to Revelation, the Bible tells us that what He opens, no man can shut, and what He closes, no man can open. So we know that He does both. He opens and closes. But seldom do we want to look at it as God's hand on our life when doors are closing on our lives. And you know what this feels like because you prayed and you prayed and you paid your tithe and you did everything that you should, but yet you still didn't get that promotion. Or, or maybe that relationship didn't work out. Or maybe you were praying for a healing in your body or for a family member's healing and, and, and that healing did not come and those doors, they slammed shut. And it's in those moments that the slamming door is louder than anything else in your life. Because when that door slams, for so many of us, we look at it as this lost opportunity, this lost hope, and we wonder if we will ever recover from that door being shut. I'm reminded of Moses. You have to remember now, Moses was just tending the sheep. He was a shepherd when God called him out of a burning bush and, and God begins to speak to him and, and explain to him that he is going to use him to bring God's people 
the Hebrews, the children of Israel, he's going to use Moses to bring them out of bondage, out of captivity, out of Egypt. Moses was reluctant at first. He says, I can't even speak properly. How's this going to happen? And God equips him with the right people around him. And God begins to use him. And Moses is faithful to his calling. And he leads them. It it can cost him his life. But he leads thousands of of Hebrews out of Egypt, out out of slavery, out of bondage. He leads them out into the wilderness. And God uses him to do some amazing things. He parts the Red Sea. Manna comes from heaven. Water comes from a rock. But what's disturbing to us is that as faithful as he was, God slams the door shut and tells Moses, you will not enter the promised land. The whole purpose for him leading those people out of Egypt was to get them to the promised land. And then God tells Moses, but you won't see it. You will not be able to enjoy the promised land that I have promised. Or how about John the Baptist, who's sitting in prison? He sends a message to Jesus with a simple question. Are you the Messiah, or should we be looking for someone else? Do we need to keep looking? John the Baptist, the cousin of Christ, he had had spent his entire ministry preparing the way for Jesus. He was telling people, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins from the world. He was convinced he was the Son of God. He was convinced he was the Messiah. Yet, he is sitting in prison and he's starting to have some doubts because if he can perform all of these miracles, has he forgotten about me? I'm just sitting here rotting in prison. So he tells his disciples, I need you to go and ask Jesus. Ask him. Ask my cousin. Are you the Messiah or should we keep looking for the one to come? And Jesus tells the the, the disciples, he says, yes, I'm the Messiah. Go back and tell him about all the things that I've done. And so they go back to John, visiting him on on family visit day in prison. And, And they're visiting him and they're like, hey, listen, Jesus wanted us to remind you about all the things he's done, all the miracles that he has performed. But he never says a word about getting John the Baptist out of prison. And it's disturbing to us because it's there that John is beheaded. He never gets out, never sees daylight. Door closed. Or how about the Apostle Paul who writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 9, when very honestly he says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations... A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Then he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. He says, three times. Whatever it was, we're not sure what it was, whatever this affliction was on his life, whatever he was going through, three times he begged God, take this from me. I do not want this thorn in my flesh. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You understand what that means to us, right? That there are moments in life when the door just shuts. No, Paul, I'm not removing the thorn in your flesh. My grace is sufficient. But I'm still single, Pastor. Time's running out. My biological clock is ticking. His grace is sufficient. 
But, but I've been up for promotion so many times and they keep looking past me, Pastor. I promise you His grace is sufficient. Will my family, Lord, will they ever come to know Jesus Christ? It feels like it's hopeless. It feels like the door is shut. Trust me, His grace is sufficient. If your finances have bottomed out and it feels like the door is slammed shut, trust me with this. His grace is sufficient. And grace, grace is that one thing that we say often around the church world, but, but very seldom do we really realize what that means to us. It is the, the greatest commodity that we have, if I, can, if I can put it in those terms. It is the greatest thing that we can grab hold of, yet it is the thing that we, that we, we treat so cheaply. Grace. The same grace that saved us from our sin is the same grace that he says when the door seems like it slams shut, my grace is sufficient. When I don't take away the thorn in your flesh, my grace is sufficient for that moment. Whatever it is you're facing right now, I assure you, God's grace is sufficient. Whatever hardship it is, God's grace is sufficient. And sometimes you don't get to build the temple. Sometimes you don't get to see the promised land. Sometimes you don't get out of prison. And sometimes the thorn in your flesh is not removed. But through all of those circumstances, His grace is sufficient. Even Jesus Himself prayed that a, a door would be opened so that He would not have to endure the pain of the cross. Listen to how He prays for God to open, His Heavenly Father to open this door in Luke 22 and 42. When He says, Father, if you are willing... Remove this cup from me, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. But we know the rest of the story. The door was slammed shut. That opportunity never came to Christ. He had to endure the cross. When God closes one door, He does not always open another door. So we have to be careful with how we say this. He does not always open another door. Sometimes God just wants you to become content in the room that you're standing in. His ways are higher. I will not be able to explain to you why, but I do know that there are moments in life when He shuts the door and does not open another door. I've, I've shared this before, but I want to kind of take it from a different angle today and, and show you how this applies to you and not just me. Two years before I left Tampa, most of you know, many of you know, I was miserable in my calling. I had been at that church for five years. I knew that God was calling me to plant a church. I knew it. When I told my pastor Two years before I left, I told him, I said, I feel like God's calling me to plant a church. His response to me was, we need to put more responsibility on you. You, you, you have a desire to grow more in your administrative skills, so we need, we need to help with that. And so in an effort to get me to stay, he put more responsibilities on me, and, and, and I did. I, I, I enjoyed taking on more responsibilities. I believe I was ready for that. But those last two years, I was miserable. If I could be very honest with you, I was miserable 
in my calling, in my occupation. I think there were moments when I was even miserable in my relationship with Christ. Because I was so unfulfilled. And if, if you're in a job where you are just, and you're like, well, your job was ministry. How can that not be fulfilling? I'm telling you, I was miserable for two years. Now, here's where you come in. Imagine with me, it's six months, one year, year and a half, if I kick the door down, that I'm dead set on planting a church. That's what the world tells us sometimes. We become so discontent with, with, with where we are at sometimes, and the world just says, go and get it. Trust me, I, I love a good leadership conference. I, I love a good leadership talk. I want to be motivated. But there are moments when we just have to be still to know that he's God. If I would have bust down the door of opportunity and, and seized what I felt like my calling was and started a church, I, I know this 100% without a doubt, it would have not been in Newberry, Florida. Newberry, two years before I left, Newberry, two months before I left Tampa was not on my radar. I had no desire to be in Newberry, Florida. And if I bust down that door, not only is my life changed, not only is the outcome of my life and my family's life, I want you to look around this room right now, and, and not that it is my ability and my power, okay? But sometimes when the door shuts, you just got to let it remain closed. Because I'm not sure any of us would be in the room together this morning had I bust down that door. Again, this is not my ability. I don't want any of our guests in the room, the, our, our, our members and our regular attendees, you know my heart. This is not built around me. God adds to the church daily those who are being saved. Praise God for what he's done here. But I do know that it requires obedience. And someone had to just cast the vision that God was putting in my heart. And our lives look different if I'm not content Standing in the hallway, staring at closed doors. Now let me fast forward to somewhere around the one-year mark of Destiny Community Church. We were still meeting over at the student center. And that little old building over there, we were setting up for church. And I remember I was sitting in my office and I was just, I was bummed. Uh, this, I'm just being honest with you. I, I was really just, I was depressed. Our church was somewhere running around 90, maybe 100 people. And that was not the vision that I, I, I envisioned for my life. Uh, I, I, honestly, I, I felt like I had something more to offer than just for a hundred people. I'm being so transparent right now, and some of you, you're judging me. Just relax. Just stay with me. 
I honestly thought, God, why am I wasting my talents in Newberry, where probably the largest church is 100 people? Why? And I remember I pulled a book off my shelf by the name of of a, a gentleman by the name of R.T. Kendall. And I just kind of randomly opened the book and just started reading in a chapter. And I remember reading where he was having the same feelings that I was having in that moment. The difference was he was pastoring a church by the name of Westminster Chapel. A church that at one time had run thousands. But under his watch, it was now running around 500 people, which was small compared to the heyday of that church and where it had been. And he said that the Holy Spirit spoke to his spirit and said, R.T., would you not be happy? Would you not be faithful if I called you to only pastor 500 people? Man, that feels like God just slamming a door shut, doesn't it? And I'll tell you, man, conviction fell over me. And I was sitting at my desk and I was crying reading this. And I said, God, forgive me. If you've called me to be a pastor to 100 people, then I want to be the most faithful pastor. I want to be the most faithful shepherd to those 100 people. For some of you, that's not a big deal, but to me... That was absolutely laying my Isaac on the altar. The door was slamming shut. I said, God, I've been obedient. I I think this is where you want me. And if you want me to pastor 100 people, then forgive me. I'll pastor 100 people, and I'll do my very best. Now, you know the rest of the story. And you look around and you see two morning services that are packed and probably a hundred kids across the street between the two services today and nursery workers pulling their hair out because there's so many babies and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you see the outcome of it. It took a while, but somewhere in that hallway, God eventually opened another door and opportunity came and and, and God blessed what we were doing. Now, now here's, here's where the challenge comes. What if he doesn't? What do you do in the moment when the door just shuts and another door does not open? And the only thing you can do in that moment is say, God, your grace is sufficient for me pastoring 100 people. God, your grace is sufficient when my marriage was beyond repair and we got a divorce. God, your grace is more, it's more than enough, Lord. It's more than sufficient. When I have to go to this job day in, day out, and I hate what I do, but God, I'm gonna trust you because your grace is sufficient. when you're lying in a hospital bed and the prognosis is horrible 
And you have to say, God, this side of eternity, you may not heal me, but your grace is sufficient. And when you reach that place, amazing things begin to happen. God promised David, he said, I'm not going to let you build my temple. But I'm going to make sure that your offspring is remembered forever. And you have a son by the name of Solomon, and I'm going to use him to build this temple, and people will remember him forever. Your name, David, will continue on and on and on and on. I'm slamming this door shut. You, you will not be the one. I'm not going to let you do it, but watch what I do with your son. When you find that contentment in his grace, God's free to do whatever he wants to do in your life, even if he doesn't. But you still find that contentment. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening. Thank you.